Good morning to you, July 3rd. I hope you're doing well. It's time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Scott Foster in here with you as we are joined by Susan Littlefield and Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan as we begin our roundtable discussion to talk about some of the things that we're going to be seeing coming up next, some of the big stories going around right now. And uh, Susan Littlefield is with us. How are things going for you, Susan? Doing really well. Excited for the 4th. is It's always a fun time of year. It absolutely is. And, uh, you know, it's nice now that we've gotten a little bit of rain. You know, there's been a few, well, a lot of rain, but there's been a few <laughs> July 4th where it's been really dry and you always worried about where that one artillery shell would start your pasture on fire. That's not going to be a problem this year, I don't think. Well, I hope now. We could use some rain here, though. It's mm. starting to get a little dry out there. So okay. hopefully, fingers crossed, the showers are talking about today will happen for us. Very good. Well, what do you got for us today, Suzanne? Well, we're going to take in at 1219 and find out more about what's happening. Speaking of crops, we'll get an update from the folks with the BASF Crop Report. And Jason's got a really cool story coming up at 1245. I'll let him talk more about that. And then stepping in at 117, a goat sheep preview coming from the western part of the state and Chabella. All right. Very good. That was short and sweet, Susan. You didn't have that much to talk about. Look at that. We're just exploding here. Okay. All right. Exploding is all right. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Susan. Talk Thank to you, you later. Mm-hmm. All right. We turn it over to Jason. And uh, besides the 1245, the Huskers had some great news. They picked up a big commit uh, the other day. Yeah, another verbal commit from a kid named Blaze Gunnerson. He's from Carroll, Iowa, considered to be the second best prospect in the state of Iowa. Uh, his brother goes to Iowa State, so naturally the Cyclone coaches mm-hmm. were hoping to use that hook to uh, get him to commit. But... Uh, yesterday, he verbally committed to the Big Red. We will hear from one recruiting analyst about Mr. Gunnarsson and how he might work into the plans for the Big Red. But after a slow start to the summer, and some folks were a little nervous that Nebraska wasn't racking up that many verbal commitments, they've had a handful here lately. And they get the polar bear guy they here? Got the polar yeah, bear too. from South Dakota, and he looks like he'll be a player down the road. So, you know, you look at the teams that win, they're tough up front. That's they have right. dudes at the line of scrimmage, and uh, that's a place where Nebraska has lacked for a while. So they're making some headway if these kids turn out. Also, uh, as part of the show at 1245, as Susan alluded to, we will hear from Kearney area farmer Bill Giffen, who just completed a 4,200-mile cycling event from one wow. end of the country to the other at 60 years old. I can't even imagine going 42 miles, let alone 4,200. He averaged 140 to 160 miles per day on a good day, but uh, Bill will tell us about that. But that's that's pretty cool. He did admit he gave a lot of thanks in the interview to his wife and to his boys for keeping things up on the farm while he was riding the bike from Sheeta. Seed is shining seed. That's crazy. Well, I'm not great. Good for him. I'm glad he died. I'm looking forward to that. That should be good. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Bob Brogan's here. What do you got for us today, Bob? The Dow Industrials are headed for a record high. Healthcare and technology stocks are leading the gains today. And uh, so we're heading for some record territory. The trade deficit is higher. That's something uh, that we've been watching closely. It uh, rose to a five-month high in May. Payroll processor ADP reports U.S. companies added just 102,000 jobs in June. Kind of a, a meager amount there. Lee Iacocca being remembered today. And I was about five minutes away from buying a K car once, but uh, somebody else bought it and I wasn't able to. All right, very good. Well, that's all coming up on midday. 
Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here on the 3rd of July and uh, some more rain totals last night that worked through. Exactly, yeah. Yes, late in the day yesterday, we kind of talked yesterday about how it's going to be feast or famine. Right. <laughs> you get some thunderstorms. Uh, a lot of us had the famine as mm-hmm. far as any showers and thunderstorms, but near the Grand Island area and also towards Marquette, uh, some areas of rain there where they had about an inch to an inch 10 of rain, an inch towards the Marquette area in the southwest of Grand Island, an inch 11. Some other totals in portions of south-central Nebraska near the Hastings area, about a third to a half an inch of rain, just depending on where you were at well, this time. And, it, and it's been so humid, you could you could feel it. You kind of yeah. felt like something was, was going to happen, or at least there was a potential. A lot of farmers talking about... You know, we just do not start our irrigation. We could use just a little bit more rain. Exactly. Well, and sometimes some of the corn is a little bit too short to even hail right now. That's so that is the major problem right now. But we are looking at a similar day today compared to yesterday with some seasonal temperatures. Also a bit on the warm and humid side. Most of our temperatures right now in the low half of the 80s across the area. Some cloud cover in northeast Nebraska holding the temperatures down into the 70s. You'll notice that humidity today, those dew points on into the upper 60s to low 70s, as warm as 73 currently on the dew point in Broken Bow. Anytime that dew point gets above 65, you're starting to feel it. And right now we're feeling it across Mm -hmm. the area with some dew points in the upper 60s to low 70s. Some low 60s for dew points, though, from Imperial into the northwest corner of Kansas and northeast Colorado, where that humidity not as much of a factor. Standard thunderstorms once again will be possible today with some afternoon heating and humidity increasing the instability. If some thunderstorms do develop, downpours of 1 to 2 inches are a likelihood since the storms will be very slow to moving and just pretty much rain over the same area and also have a fair amount of moisture to work with. The main severe threat, though, going to be over the Dakotas, over the Dakotas closer to some areas of low pressure and also now over the northwest corner of Kansas or Nebraska, so northwest Nebraska, extreme northwest Nebraska, in a slight risk of severe storms. They have moved that slight risk a little bit further to the south. The thunderstorms that do develop expected to rapidly diminish this evening. Overall, for Independence Day plans, mainly dry with near normal to slightly warmer than normal temperatures. High humidity will push that fuel cycle reading into the upper 90s for tomorrow. Thunderstorm chances do increase for tomorrow night with the approach of a cold front, so don't be surprised, especially in northern and western areas, you start to see some thunderstorms move into your region during the evening. A likelihood of Thunderstorms with that front's passage as we head towards Friday through Friday night. Temperatures will cool to slightly below normal levels for Friday through the weekend, then be back to normal by early next week. The long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will be seasonal or near normal for Monday through Wednesday of next week. The temperature is expected to trend cooler than normal for late next week through July 16th. During that time, the central Nebraska D-time highs are usually averaging in the upper 80s with average overnight lows in the low 60s. Rain chances will be higher for Nebraska and Kansas early next week, Monday through Wednesday. A little less rain with near normal to slightly above normal rainfall is anticipated for late next week through the 16th. Now, Due to the Independence Day holiday, the regional drought monitor was released a day early. Usually it comes out on Thursday. Nebraska, Kansas, and Colorado remain drought-free. The high plains states of the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado, and Wyoming, 94% drought-free. Just some dryness issues in extreme northern North Dakota and a little part of far western Wyoming. 
Key weather factors for the markets include heavy rain in the forecast for the western Midwest and cooler weather for Europe and the Black Sea region. The next several days, cool weather will cover northern portions of the Rockies and Plains. Very warm, humid weather will prevail across much of the south and east. Thunderstorms will pepper areas from the northern plains into the mid-Atlantic. The western Midwest and northern plains will have a chance for some moderate to heavy rain that may cause some flooding where it's still wet from the heavy spring rain. Crops, though, will benefit from mainly warmer than normal temperatures and improve in development. The Southern Plains wheat harvest does not expect any extensive delays due to scattered thunderstorms. Europe and the Black Sea region will be cooler with better rain chances six to ten days from now. The Europe dryness and the recent extreme heat, though, likely to affect the development of summer crops for them. Okay, very good. Chance that uh, Mother Nature might put on a little bit of a fireworks show tomorrow night, too, in some areas? Wouldn't doubt it, especially with the approach of that uh, cold front moving into the region, mm-hmm. and especially as we head towards Friday and Friday night. It just depends on the timing of it. If it moves through your area during the peak heating of the day, of course, that's that better chance for severe weather. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Of course, lots of people traveling, and uh, you want to know what the weather's doing wherever you're going or uh, where you were at, whatever. Uh, you got a place you can go check? What's that, Paul? You can check krvn.com. All right. Thank you so much. agriculture is a big commitment when krvn takes you on the road for agriculture you might hear us reporting across town across the country or across the ocean we think are equally committed on the road sponsors the nebraska corn board nebraska land national bank and the nebraska soybean board powering our ag news travel aboard the krvn soy biodiesel pickup on the road for agriculture because it's a big story It's time again this week that we check in with our BASF Technical Service representative, and we get to chat this week with Brady Kapler. Brady, it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked to you, and so just update us first on what you're seeing out in the fields with your growers. We've certainly seen the heat come in, and things are really starting to take off. Well, that's exactly it. Right now, we're seeing the corn um, really starting to add height. I mean, and and just if you... uh, Give it just a few days, you're seeing some significant challenge or some significant changes in height there. The other thing that I've noticed this past week, it seems, that the beans finally took hold, and we started to see some more uh, canopy growth on those. Uh, you know, we're, we're probably, you know, not going to have that tassel by 4th of July, but at the same time, um, the corn has, it, it's amazing how much uh, height it can gain in a very short period of time when we have this heat, humidity, that type of weather that it really likes. It's good corn-growing weather. But the good news is I think really, like I said, for soybeans is we're seeing that development and they're starting to take off and we're getting some more uh, canopy leaf development, uh, new trifoliates coming out and uh, moving along there, hopefully continue to see that in soybeans. And it's nice to finally have some of the heat come in and start to hit these crops and get them growing. But with as much moisture as we had ahead of that, let's talk about disease pressure. Are you seeing much of it now or do you expect to see much of it? Well, right now we haven't seen a ton of disease development. We have seen certain fields where anthracnose has been a problem earlier in the season. But, uh, you know, we're also expecting um, the overwintering diseases such as gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight. We're expecting those to be factors uh, coming up, and we're definitely going to want to keep an eye on those as we get closer to that tassel time because tassel... Uh, when we enter those reproductive stages is when stress can be most impactful in the plant. And so we want to be aware of when we're starting to see 
uh, great leaf spot lesions develop below the ear leaf or around the ear leaf especially and then also you know cause possibility if we see some northern corn leaf bite lesions come in as well the other thing that's been relatively quiet so far has been southern rust but we know that that's a blown-in disease so we continue to monitor anything that may be coming from the south or if we started to see some uh, storm systems that would be pushing from the Gulf of Mexico through Mexico up into uh, the upper Midwest type of thing like that as they could bring spores in with them. And so uh, those are going to be things that, and of course, with soybeans as canopy goes, then we can start to see some development of things like brown leaf spot, uh, those type of diseases under canopy. May not necessarily see them, but until we start pulling back, we can see some underleaf development. And again, same thing with corn. Once the beans get to the point where they're flowering, putting on pot, we enter those reproductive periods. That's when stress impacts it the most, so we want to try to keep it stress-free. So uh, we're at timings for fungicides. Uh, they're coming, but we're not quite there yet. But once we hit tassel, we'll be looking at corn. And then once we get beans that are uh, starting to put on pods and we get those R3, R4 stages uh, with small pods on, that's when we're talking about putting on our fungicides and soybeans. And you talk about that critical time period we're in right now just ahead of tasseling and with our soybeans. Anything else producers should be considering? Well, I think, you know, uh, one thing, I, and we've hammered on weed control week after week after week, and, and we're probably getting to points where we're starting to wrap that up, but um, trying to keep them, you know, weed-free as possible, and hopefully we've got good programs in place. Then, like I said, going forward here, we're probably two weeks away from tassel in, in a lot of fields with corn. Um, maybe some sooner, uh, but we're going to have such a range because of the planting days. Soybeans, we're just starting to see flowering, and then as we go through that. So keeping an eye out for any disease development in any of these things is going to be crucial as we move into that, like I said, with the reproductive periods. Brady Kapler, your BASF Technical Service Representative. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Hi, I'm Josh Hilkin, and tonight on Sports Nightly, we have a best of show, listening back to interviews with Fred Hoiberg, Jovan DeWitt, and much more. Tune in to Sports Nightly on the Rural Voice of Nebraska, 880 KRVN. Time for us to check in on sports with us, Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, after a slow start to the summer, things are starting to pick up for the Husker football squad on the recruiting trail. Yesterday, they racked up another verbal commitment as defensive end Blaze Gunnarsson of Carroll, Iowa, committed to the Big Red. Now, Gunnarsson is a 6'5", 255-pound outside linebacker recruit who's considered to be the second-best prospect in the state of Iowa. That's according to 24-7 Sports. Recruiting analyst Greg Smith of Hale Varsity says NU did a nice job of out-recruiting Iowa State for his services. This kid has the amount of ties to a school uh, that he has to Iowa State and that school. And Iowa State is recruiting him really hard. Um, it becomes really difficult to say no to the home state school, right? Um, so that really was a big concern because otherwise Nebraska has been on him for a long time. As long as his staff has been here, um, they've made him a high priority and the entire time. Um, and just like uh, Nash Huttmacher, you also built a great relationship with this staff. Smith was a guest last night on Sports Nightly on the Huskers Sports Network. Now, Gunnarsson's brother is a member of the Cyclones football squad. Gunnarsson took an official visit to Nebraska the weekend of June 14th. He also had six scholarship offers, including those from Big Ten rivals Iowa and Minnesota. 
Turned out to be another solid season at the box office for the UNK women's basketball program as they brought in more than 1,000 fans per game this past season. That was good for 16th best in Division Two. For the 11th consecutive year, the MIAA actually led all of Division Two in attendance for women's basketball. Fort Hayes State, which had another superb season on the court, was second in the country in overall home attendance with just under 48,000 fans, which broke down to around 2,500 fans per game. Well, the MIAA announced yesterday that Newman University in Wichita and Rogers State University in Claremore, Oklahoma, have officially been added as associate members for the upcoming school year. With the addition, the MIAA now has 12 full-time members and two associate members in the states of Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. Both Newman and Rogers were members of the now-defunct Heartland Conference. At Wimbledon, Serena Williams and Andy Murray will make their debut as an all-star pairing in the first round of mixed doubles. The draw for mixed doubles was held today. And Major League Baseball is set to announce the participants for next week's home run derby in Cleveland. Six of the eight players are already known. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kristen Yelich, Ronald Acuna Jr., Pete Alonso, Josh Bell, and Carlos Santana. The 20-year-old Guerrero will be the youngest participant ever, 116 days younger than Ken Griffey Jr. was back in 1990. That's a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. <laughs> time for us to take a look at uh, news that's going on around us. And uh, Tyler Cavalli in here. Big doings at Freedom Fest. Yeah, that's right, Scott. Yeah, the food and music along with carnival and fireworks will be among many offerings at Freedom Fest, set for 5 to 10.30 p.m. tonight at the Viero Center south of Kearney. Now, it will include a free fall tower, a ropes course, a bungee trampoline, a Ferris wheel, and a whole bunch more. The United Way of Kearney is putting on the event for the second consecutive year, and Kearney United Way Executive Director Nikki Erickson says the fireworks will start at 10. We have probably, I'm going to estimate, maybe one of the biggest fireworks shows Carney's ever seen. Last year we had a fabulous show, but we just decided, based on the feedback we got, that people wanted an even bigger show. We appreciate the free will donations that people contribute because that helps us pay for a great show, and we expect something just fantastic. The biggest ever. Yikes. I'm Okay, I'm excited about this now. Yeah. Of course, living in Carney now, I was going to check it out, but... Right now you are. Now it's talk. happening. That's the biggest ever. All right. I'll let it's you know. Biggest. I'll let you know how, how it goes. All right. Thank you. Probably some Snapchats as well. Probably. Well, donations are welcome, but they are not necessary. There will be a small charge for some of the attractions. For more information, you can like the Carney United Way Facebook page or the events tab at krvn.com. Well, the amount of water flowing into the lower Missouri River will remain high throughout the summer and fall, and that water will likely continue to exacerbate flooding downstream. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers says it plans to keep releases from Gavin's Point Dam on the Nebraska-South Dakota border near current levels, which are more than double the average amount. Now, the high releases will likely continue worsening flooding downstream in Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri, and Kansas, where many levees were damaged during severe... Severe weather March flooding. Officials say the releases of 70,000 cubic feet per second of water are needed because the upstream reservoirs remain quite full. The amount of water entering the dams in June was at 159% of normal, and it has been a wet year. Yankton police say a man wanted for attempted murder in Nebraska rammed an officer's squad car during a traffic stop. 
Authorities say the suspect was driving a stolen U-Haul truck Tuesday night, hit the squad, and fled across the bridge to Nebraska. Yankton police pursued the man into Nebraska until the Nebraska State Patrol and Cedar County Sheriff's deputies joined the pursuit and took the man into custody. Police say no Yankton officers were injured. Cedar County Attorney Edward Matney says that they've been looking for the man suspected in Tuesday's stabbing in Fordyce in the Yankton and Brooking areas in South Dakota. Finally, authorities say a five-year-old boy has died in a farming accident in Kansas. The Reno County Sheriff's Office says in a Facebook post that Adam Schrock died Tuesday afternoon near Haven. The post says his clothing became wrapped up in a mechanical part of a tractor that a family member was working on. Haven's about 30 miles northwest of Wichita. That is your afternoon news update. For more, visit our website at krvn.com. I'm going to give you extra points. You use the word exacerbate. I thought you did a good job with that. Beautiful. That's yes. the one I was looking over. I'm like, I yes. got to nail it. You I got to nail you, it. You nailed it. Very good. Practice. Right. Makes perfect. <laughs> Jason Jorgensen with you on the Rural Radio Network. Well, Kearney area farmer Bill Giffen recently completed the 4,200-mile Trans Am bike race from Astoria, Oregon to Yorktown, Virginia. First time he'd attempted a ride this long, and I had a chance to ask him about his recently completed adventure. Well, it takes a little while to sink in, really, honestly. Uh, You know, you kind of fight that and and do the mileage and, and go through the problem areas with equipment and, and body parts and all that seems like so far away and then all of a sudden you're done right now you just i'm just trying to sink let it all sink in but i go fulfilled i guess a bucket list item that's be crossed off and everything uh, i finished within the range that i thought was uh, achievable so so uh, mission accomplished i guess did this whole adventure turn out to be everything you thought it would be well, there wasn't very many surprises because when after you've done a little long distance stuff, you know that <clears throat> you know what can go wrong, what those sort of things. The only thing I didn't know was you know the the enormity of the the length of time, how my body would react. You'd hopefully think you'd get to a comfort zone, and and I thought I did a few times, but then uh, the route would throw some some uh, twists at me, like uh, went across Wyoming was. And Nebraska pretty darn fast, got some favorable winds uh, three-quarters of the time, and, and which, you know, you go across the plains, you better take advantage of them. But but then, then you, you kind of think you're in a, in a zone, then you, you hit the limestone trails and the, the limestone rock roads in Missouri that were connector roads that kind of sets you back. And, and instead of going 18, 19 mile an hour, you're, you're walking your bike through rocks and which isn't very, make very good time. But that was kind of the really only um, uh, different things. You just didn't know how you'd react to to that long of a of a ride and if everything would hold up. And, and there were some glitches, but for the most part, it, it, it worked out all right. Today we're joined by Kearney farmer Bill Giffen, who recently completed the 4,200-mile Trans Am bike race from Oregon to Virginia. Now, Bill, for those of us who know you, uh, we know you're on your bike a lot, but uh, when did you kind of get the urge to uh, get this involved in cycling? Well, you know, I haven't been biking all that long. It wasn't, you know, too long ago I still thought I could do the young man sports like basketball and, and uh, you know, an ankle and a knee and whatever would tell me that I wasn't young anymore. So um, got into cycling, um, and, and it's kind of a godsend because it keeps 
keeps you moving, but it takes takes weight off of uh, you know those joints that are uh, you know maybe kind of on their uh, last few miles. But started cycling, and you kind of find out what you. Cycling has so many different ways you can do it. You can mountain bike. You can you can drive a little beach cruiser. You can race. You can tour. Uh, so many different ways you can do it, and I finally settled into. I think I'm a tour. I like to see, you know, new places and, and people and and, uh, and such. But then I found myself doing some interesting things. You know, you'd be 50 miles out from a town that maybe had lodging, maybe not. You couldn't tell because you didn't have any cell signal. And you should stay put, but there's a something inside you said, "I want to see if I can make it." And I got into that kind of a deal where you're looking for adventure and, and then this transhand bike race that I um, found out about uh, went over the same trail uh, route out west, the original uh, bicentennial route, uh, 1976 uh, a bunch of people uh, designed a route to go coast to coast and, and it later became known as the transhand route and I'd been over parts of that, so that kind of intrigued me. And they had a documentary on the first ride and, and such. And and, uh, and I, I, I kind of thought I'd like to do that. And then you say, no, I can't do that. And go back and forth. And finally, it was just uh, decided that to do that and support from my um, wife, Denise, and, and the family to take up the slack on the farm and, and such. So it was the timing was right. And uh, started training in, uh, right after harvest intently. Doing doing the, all the all the cycling I could, plus doing core work, strengthening, stretching, all that other stuff that your body would break down. So uh, trying to strengthen that. So so it, it, it basically all all worked out, and uh, uh, I was ready to start. Bill, one thing that really struck me is how you really took people along for the ride with all of your posts on social media. It was kind of like they were all there with you, uh, watching your progress from one end of the country to the other. Yeah, you know that was kind of the neat thing about it because I, I got a spinning class and a Carney Cycling Road Cycling group that that uh, knew about it and, and they wanted to kind of follow along. Well, you know, here's here's the track leader site. You can watch my dot. You know, every racer has a has a tracker, and uh, when they worked, and it had a little bit of difficulty this year with a bunch of riders. And, uh, you know, you can track me and I'll update on Facebook. And, and, uh, and it was kind of neat to see that people that didn't even know that this kind of cycling existed were really into it and watching the dot. And uh, uh, so that, that was kind of neat and it maybe bring a little more exposure to cycling. And That was Carney Farmer Bill Giffen joining us today. He says he tried to average between 140 and 160 miles per day on his journey, but still, that's quite the accomplishment to cycle from one side of the country to the other. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jason Jorgensen. Time for us to take a look at financial markets and what's going on around the world. Very good stuff here in the United States, but let's take a look first at the Japanese index. Uh, the Nikkei is down 115 points, was down 115 points. The Hong Kong Hang Seng down 20. The FTSE in London was up 50, and the German DAX index up 90. As we come to the United States, the composite index of the Dow and NASDAQ and S&P together is at a record high. And it's closed now because it's closed today early for the July, 3rd, July 4th holiday. 
The Dow Jones Industrial Average itself up 179 points. The Nasdaq was up 61 and the S&P up 22. Bob Brogan's in here with more. Well, as Scott said, major UN, U.S. indexes have closed uh, at record highs on a holiday-shortened trading day on Wall Street. The Dow easily beat the record it marked in October. The S&P, a broader index tracked by many index funds, closed at its third straight high, and the Nasdaq also closed at a record. Also, health care and technology led the gains. Merck rose 1.6%. Semantic soared 13.6% following a report that Broadcom was interested in buying it. The markets will be closed on Thursday for the Independence Day holiday. And, uh, of course, trading is closed, uh, will close today at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time. A trade, uh, the trade deficit rose to a five-month high in May as the imbalance with China and Mexico widened. The Commerce Department says the gap between the goods and services the U.S. sells and what it buys from foreign countries rose 8.4%. To 55.5 billion in May, the highest since December. Payroll processor ADP reports that U.S. companies added just 102,000 jobs in June as small businesses and construction firms shed workers. The meager gains come after just 41,000 jobs were added in May. Lee Iacocca, remembered as a master pitchman who became a corporate folk hero back when he resurrected Chrysler. Former colleagues say Iacocca is dead at the age of 94 in Bel Air, Bel Air, California. Iacocca had a 32-year career at Ford and then Chrysler. In that time, he helped launch some of Detroit's best-selling and most significant vehicles. He was famous for his TV ads in which he said, if you can find a better car, buy it. And I, uh, like I said earlier, I almost bought a K car that was in pretty good shape, but um, I took too long to decide, and it got bought by somebody else. The uh, Dodge Aries K, if I remember correctly, was one of them. There was a couple different ones. I can't remember what the other one was, but then each company came out with their own Econo boxes. We had the Chevy Citation and the Ford uh, Tempo. Was it the Tempo? or Yeah, I think it was that. They were just, yeah. Trying These to- cars were launched a lot of the, by the uh, Gas, mm-hmm. the, the the gas shortage. Yeah, and, they really uh, were. Lines at uh, gas stations and whatnot, and I remember those lines. Oh yeah, those were something. So all right, well, Lee Iacocca, he certainly changed the face of the American auto industry. Thanks a lot, Bob. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. The Nebraska Sheep and Goat Producers Association and the Nebraska and Wyoming Extension is sponsoring an educational program for sheep and goat producers on July 12th in Shadron and July 13th in North Platte. Randy Sainer, Nebraska Extension Educator at West Central Research and Extension Center, says the program is sponsored by a grant the University of Wyoming and the sheep specialists received from the USDA. He gives us an idea of what the day will hold. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, economics of raising sheep. Um, they're going to talk about forage nutritional values for sheep. We're going to have lunch, and then how I started in the sheep business, my operation. And then uh, we have Laura McHale, wildlife biologist, who's doing research with South Dakota State on, on the Movi bacteria and how to prevent sheep herds um, from getting it. And then, then we've got um, parasites in sheep with Whit Stewart um, from 
University of Wyoming. Along with the discussions on sheep, there will also be information on goats. Sainer says he'll discuss management and feeding of meat goats. Well, the, the, the first thing, I guess, would be parasites. <laughs> Um, depending on the weather, we, they do have more of a parasite problem even than goats as far as you've got to make sure you watch the parasite, make sure you deworm them if they, get, if they have an overload of, of parasites. And with a lot of rain, that seems to be an issue. You know, rain and warm weather, uh, the Hamonchus contortus worm tends to really multiply in goats. So that's the number one thing. And then number two probably is good fencing and, and um, predator control. You know, you need guard dogs out there. You need something to watch, watch them. Because they're small, just like sheep, and if you don't have some kind of predator control, you're going to lose lose enough to predators that probably won't be a profitable venture. Saner says the goats will eat some of the weedy and woody stuff cows won't eat. He says keeping goats in can be a challenge, as they are hard on fences. They tend to have, um, their feet pads tend to be not as, um, they don't ground as well as some species, so you got to have a pretty hot fence, and then you, they'll crawl through it if it's if it's too wide. So you either got to put the, the 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 usually a five strand uh, hot wires is what it takes with, with grounding every other one, so that when they go to crawl through it, it shocks them. Um, or you can do an offset electric, and you probably need to do a couple of those because they'll go underneath if you're not careful, and they'll like and they they can they'll just go through it. Sainer says one of the highlights of the program will be a young sheep producer, Caleb Perk, from southwest Idaho. He's established his own flock of hair sheep and is utilizing many new and proven practices in his operation. Perk stresses utilizing forages in his operation, pasture rotation, selecting for parasite resistance, and in fact submitting the collected data to the National Sheep Improvement Program for calculation of estimated breeding values, EBVs, and key production traits including internal parasite resistance. Perk also harvests some of his pasture-finished lambs for meat sales in the grass-fed niche market, selling locally direct to consumers and through other sale opportunities. The Sheep and Goat program will be held July 11th at the Shattern State College campus and then on July 13th at the West Central Research and Extension Center in North Platte. The meetings will start at 9.30 with registration and will finish up at 4. The cost is $15 for one or $25 for two, and for students, the cost is $10, which includes a new meal, breaks, and handouts. For more information, call Melissa Nicholson at 308-386-8378 or Saner at 308-696-6700 by July 9th. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network here as we look closer at our closing grain markets and what a strong and bullish day it was. Again, a more than 4% move up here in our September corn contract to close out the day. We saw a critical uh, technical support here on the December corn contract, though, looking at held a gap measure at 420 and then was able to move up off those lows once again. Now, the important thing to remember that is it's good that it was able to hold that, but once again, it'll still give it, uh, unfortunately, issues where it did not fill that gap coming back down. That if it were to come around. The big question is coming up next week, we have the WASDE report coming out, the July WASDE. And according to uh, Dr. 
the USDA's chief economist, uh, that he is looking at. The, the WASDE report will be compiled from NASA's acreage data. So, again, uh, that could be kind of somewhat concerning. We're still using these large acreage numbers for corn. Many analysts looking at that and saying, how will they handle the yield numbers? That'll be the important one to closely watch. How will they handle yield numbers? Coming out from the last one, dropping 10 bushels per acre, which was pretty big in the corn from 176 to 166. What will also happen for the uh, the soybeans, the soybean average yield coming out of that as well. Now, looking over a lot of uh, more rain centered over the major corn producing big ice states that we mean many times think about ohio also being included with that one as another round of heavy rain could again impact that crop which according to the latest crop progress report was already looking sluggish to poor especially in emergence you look at emergence in indiana right now uh that or yeah corn emerged right now in indiana at 88 percent just 12 percent behind but then you look at that excellent rating for corn right now in illinois only six percent four percent in indiana typically this time of year much much higher so nebraska and many people saying it's kind of resting right there on their shoulders so it'll be interesting to see what comes on with that so looking from the technical perspective still holding a solid uh, stopgap margin for those uh, grains especially in the corn contract a similar picture setting up for the soybeans as well now in the outside markets we also saw a fairly friendly u.s dollar index today kind of trading on both sides of unchanged towards the end of the trade though looking to be closer to 10 points higher the latest ethanol reports showing us that uh, we had a slight gain and build up and according to to Copank, operating margins for ethanol producers likely to remain weak for the remainder of 2019 under the uh, abundant production. Interesting enough, uh, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue essentially being tried to be pressured by several uh, key oil senators to stay in his lane when it comes to the EPA and those critical refiner waveries on the, how much ethanol they have to blend and meeting those RIN standards as well. So interesting uh, stories coming out, both those you can find more at ruralradio.com to read further in depth along with ethanol's uh, weak demand and possible sluggish demand going forward as well as Se- Secretary Sonny Perdue's uh, EPA talks uh, trying to push for more ethanol in fuel blends. This is the Rural Radio Network. And that's going to do it for our midday program here today for July 3rd on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcast on krvn.com, Twitter, our app, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.